All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday morning time together here at the Digital Cathedral. And I was just sitting here thinking, my goodness, it's hard to believe that we are into August already. This, uh, this year is slipping by. This is the eighth month of 2021. Can you believe that? I hope you're having a good summer. Hope you've uh, been able to get away a little bit, <clears throat> rest, recreate, and keep your mind open to what uh, God is saying to you. I want to get into some really interesting things this morning. I want to begin over at Acts chapter one. This is one of my <clears throat> one of my scriptures that I contemplate. This is what I this is one that I meditate. I'll have to be honest with you. So I'm going to share a little bit with you this morning some things that I have drawn out of these three verses of Acts chapter one. Now I'm going to tell you right up front. I cannot prove what I'm going to tell you scripturally, so you can take it or leave it. But I think I'm pretty accurate in this because of what everything that Paul taught us. So I want to look at uh, Acts chapter 1, first three verses. Now let me give you a little bit of background. This first chapter of Acts, it, we're going to read scripture, three verses, fits the time period between the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension. So he's appearing to his 11 disciples, 11 apostles that were left, and he's teaching them. And I want you to pay particular attention to the subject and to the topic that he's going to teach, because I think it has tremendous relevance. These, these, this, is the last, this is the last swing that Jesus has at them to impart to them what he wants them to make sure that they don't forget. It's, it's kind of like a parent that's leaving the house and they've got a couple of uh, kids that are old enough to stay alone, but this parents still wonder, are they going to kill each other when I'm gone or do they know how to handle everything? And so the instructions that the parent, and I did this, the instructions that the parent gives the child or the children before they leave the house are the most important things that you want your children to remember. Don't let strangers in. Here's the number where we're going to be. If you need us, call us. Uh, you know, don't leave the stove on. The things that you think are really important are the things you tell your children before you leave the house those years where they're kind of making a transition where you're not confident fully that they can meet every situation that comes up, but at the same time, you know that they're old enough that they need to begin to take care of themselves and to be a little bit independent, and so you don't have to call the babysitter. And besides, they're old enough that they would be embarrassed if someone was called to babysit them that was two or three years older than them and ahead of them just a couple of grades in school. So that's, it's kind of that time thing. So here's what Jesus begins to tell the disciples just before he leaves. And I think it's it's important what he's going to tell them here. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Writer of Acts says, this, this former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. I like that because not only did Jesus taught, teach, <laughs> Jesus taught, not only did Jesus teach, he also did. So he was he he put his actions to his teachings, and he demonstrated this for three and a half years. Things that he taught, he did. It says in verse two, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible truths, being seen of them during forty days. Now watch and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So here's Jesus. Jesus is doing, between the resurrection and the ascension, he's doing this 40-day seminar, 40-day conference, unbelievable. Can you, can you just imagine all the information that Jesus could dispense in 40 days? 
So he sets these guys down for 40 days and he speaks to them on one subject. One subject only, it says, because everything emanates out of this. He spoke to them the important things that I think he wanted them to remember concerning the kingdom of God. Man, I have thought so many times, would I have liked to have been a fly on the wall that whole 40-day period? I mean, at least I'd like a set of CDs or a podcast. I guess podcasts probably more up-to-date. CDs are, are kind of getting passe. I, I'd like a podcast on that or maybe some YouTube videos on that 40-day seminar that Jesus taught concerning the kingdom. I'm sure Jesus was giving them the creme de la creme, the, 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 very, the very elite ideas that he wanted them to make sure that they remembered when he was ready to depart. So Jesus ministered to them the kingdom, but also says that he, he taught them not only in word, but also in deed. He, he appeared to them many infallible proofs. They knew who Jesus was. They knew who, by this time they, they fully identified that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And I'm sure that had their attention full attention, has my attention 2,000 years later, because it affects me. So Jesus began to teach them, and he ministered uh, to these, these apostles. He Think of the gravity of this. Jesus is betting the ranch on these men's ability to carry what he is imparting to them to the nations, to all generations. He's, he's betting the ranch. He's, he's, he's pushed all his chips to the middle of the table. And he's saying, I've got to give these men some truth that they will be able to impart and take to the generations that are coming. So I, I ponder this passage. I ponder that 40 days. I really do. I've, I've thought and thought and thought and meditated on the things that Jesus probably taught them that were extremely important, close to his heart, that he felt were priorities in teaching this 40-day day period. So I, I've narrowed this down to three things. Now, I've, I gave you the caveat at the beginning. I can't prove it by Scripture because Scripture didn't tell us what he taught for, for 40 days. But I know, I know the Christ heart. I know the heart of the Father. I know I have a, a good idea what the Father is doing today in the earth through the sons and the daughters. He's looking to manifest. He's looking to bring the kingdom uh, to earth. And so we don't want to just teach it. We want to be able to, to do it. And I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But before I really I unwind this for you this morning in these three areas, especially as we get into our I amness, as we're hip deep right now, we're exploring this, we're moving further. And I've just uh, completed some materials that I'm going to be teaching in September, another month or so away. And it's going to just blow the lid off of all of this on the creative power that you and I have. So sometimes on Sunday, I just back up and put some foundation down to make sure that we're all running in the same direction. And I want you to understand today that everything I'm teaching now is coming out of kingdom mindset, kingdom mentality. And it's what we're going to not just uh, talk about, but it's things we're going to begin to do successfully and progressively better. But just in general, a couple things about the kingdom that Jesus said that I want to uh, just drop the seeds into your mind so that you fully understand. So let's come over to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. And let me just read a couple of verses out of Luke 17. Let me pick it up with verse 20. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, <clears throat> because they were looking for a, a military kingdom. They were looking for a takeover of the Romans. They were looking for uh, a new government to, to come in. 
that would usher in their dominance and their position as Pharisees. So they were, they were excited to know when the kingdom was going to come, their concept of the kingdom. Jesus answered them and said, the kingdom does not come with observation. That irritated the heck out of them, I'm sure, because they, they felt the kingdom would, would be very observable in its, in its uh, dominance and in its force. And Jesus was saying, it doesn't come that way. It's not coming that way. Verse 21, now, nor will they say here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. That, I'm sure that left him scratching her head. Now we understand a little better. So here's, here's what Jesus was saying. And I want us to understand this morning as we move into these three things that I think Jesus taught the, the apostles in the 40-day seminar that he put on. First of all, the kingdom doesn't come visually. All right? the, the kingdom, Jesus said plainly and clearly, and I don't think you can mistake it. He said the kingdom is within you. As we're learning to function out of our I amness and create, we're understanding that everything that we need is within us. The kingdom is within us. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is within us. Creation is finished. It's a matter of you and I now coming and learning how to function out of this kingdom that is within. So Jesus was very specific that the kingdom is within. All right, let's back up just a couple of chapters to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and I'll just read verse twenty. Seven, Luke chapter 9 and verse 27. He said, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Okay, here's a good point. It's not observed, but Jesus said they would see it. How would they see it? He said, you're going to see it with eyes, but they're not going to be physical eyes. He said, there are some standing here who will not die, won't taste death till they see the kingdom. So either the kingdom has come within men, or there's some old people walking around on the face of the planet that are a couple thousand years old. Now, here's what I would believe. I believe the kingdom's already come. It hasn't come with observation. It doesn't come here or there. We can't look outwardly and see it. Jesus said the kingdom is within us, but evidently it's here because he said it would come before that generation would taste death. All right, one more, one more quick one. Just, just dropping some things down to get an idea before we move into some specifics. John chapter 15, verse 19. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would, would uh, love its own, but you, you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So he's telling us that in this kingdom mentality that they were not to live in the world, they were to live out of this invisible kingdom. Our motivation is different. Our insight is different. Our source is different from the world. We're in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, back in the day, we took that to mean literally <laughs> that we don't drink, smoke, chew, run with folks that do. We don't go to movies. We don't roller skate. We don't go to the beach because we don't want to be part of the world. It's not what Jesus was talking about at all. He's talking about a different motivation, different mindset, different perception, different level of consciousness. So let's begin to move into this kingdom that Jesus is talking about. And one, one more quick thing. Jesus said in John chapter 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 3, he said that we need to see the kingdom. I probably better read this for you. John chapter 3 and verse 3, because I want to get the wording exactly right, because it's important what Jesus said here. John chapter 3 and verse 3. 
Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And I want you to, in my, in my Bible, I underlined the word see, because we are to see the kingdom of God. Um, we see the kingdom of God uh, through, you know, good teaching, uh, examining what it's about, uh, being told that we ought to live in the kingdom. We see it. There's a lot of people that see the kingdom. But Jesus pushed the envelope a little bit further in verse 5. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. I underlined enter in my Bible because I think there's two different dimensions Jesus is talking about right here. He's talking about seeing the kingdom, but he's also talking about entering the kingdom. Now, you and I need to not only see the kingdom, we need to move into the kingdom. And there's a tremendous difference between seeing the kingdom and entering the kingdom. You see the kingdom, and a lot of people stand back, you know, I hear teaching today, admiring the kingdom, exploring the kingdom, seeing the kingdom, uh, uh, bringing different facets of the kingdom to light, but they're not entering the kingdom. They're not putting boots on the ground. They're not demonstrating to the kingdom. They're happy to just see it. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, now you see it, you need to do it. It's like the difference, it's like the difference between studying baseball, studying the history of the game, the positions, the different teams, knowing the statistics, uh, liking the game, loving the game, watching the game. It's the difference between studying baseball, seeing baseball, and actually entering the game and playing the game of baseball. It's a world of difference. Anybody can be an expert on the game. You can be an expert on the kingdom. You can explore all the kingdom you wanted to, but that's that's not where we're going. That's not where it lies. That's not that's not really the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is entering the kingdom. It, it's kind of like going out in the kitchen and studying how to make a cake from scratch. You can study how to make a cake from scratch, all the ingredients, the history of the cake, the flavor of the cake, what the cake should look like as it bakes, how to know when the cake is done. You can study all of that, but it's a whole different ball game when you actually enter into making a cake from scratch. Clearly, clearly, many can study and learn what the kingdom is, but that's not what the world is looking for. The world is not on tiptoe expectation looking for people that have studied the kingdom, can talk about the kingdom, can illustrate the kingdom, can illuminate the kingdom. The world is looking for people that have entered the kingdom and can demonstrate the kingdom. And I think that's where we're sorely lacking today. And at the Digital Cathedral, that's what we press into. We press into the demonstration. Well, what I want to do this morning in these three things, I just want to open your spirit up a little bit. Expand your consciousness, pour some new wine in, might bust a wine skin or two, but that's okay. That's what we like to do. That's what we're all about. Now, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure in this 40-day period that Jesus taught, if we're going to manifest as sons of the kingdom, then we're going to have to enter the kingdom. Not just, not just talk about it. We're going to have to enter the kingdom. I think there's three three very practical things that Jesus, I'm sure, I'm sure this, this just scratches the surface, the depth of the man went when he was talking to the apostles. <clears throat> I could I could probably fill up an entire legal pad with things that I'm pretty sure that he taught. But I'm gonna give you three this morning that I think stand out. Number one, I think Jesus taught if we're going to actually enter the kingdom, live out the kingdom, then number one, we're gonna have to shut out the mind of the world. 
We're going to have to shut out the mind of the world. And this is extremely important. The mindset of the world and the kingdom are absolutely opposite. The mindset of the world is programmed by the five senses. There are people today that, that understand the kingdom, talk about the kingdom, teach about the kingdom, never entered the kingdom because their mindset is still programmed by five physical senses. They don't think they can do it. They, they're not sure how to, how to pull this off. They talk about it, but they don't enter it. It's because they're still programmed by the mindset of the world. The five senses turn your attention outward. Your five senses, if you haven't noticed, remember the kingdom is within, so the focus has to be within, the emphasis is within. But if you look at your five senses, what you, what you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, feel, all those five turn your gaze outward to what is happening in an outward dimension. That's not where we live in the kingdom. It's not where we live at all. We're not moved by five senses. We live for the most part on a mind that is made up by what we hear, see, feel, observe around us. And that keeps us at the wrong tree, it keeps us at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It keeps us at the tree of choice, the tree of choice. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil grows from your, your natural mind, from your mindset. The mind of the kingdom goes within for direction. The mind of the kingdom does not look, it's not moved by, by the five senses. It moves within and it moves by the voice. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil functions by choice. The tree of life functions by the voice. So we have a, we have a, a decision to make. Do we live by choice, what appears good, what sounds good? Even what our conscience says. See, your conscience is programmed by your culture. There are things in our culture that in other cultures would be highly offensive. There are things in other cultures that our conscience would be violated over. Consciences, I know we tell people, let conscience be your guide. That's not a good guide. That comes by choice because you're choosing what comes into your conscience. When you, when you move by the voice, you're, you're learning to move out of that, that inner function of the kingdom that speaks to you. The, Jesus said, the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. What we're after is the voice, not the choice. Now you'll never, you'll never, you'll never function in the voice. You'll never hear the voice. And this is why some people say, God doesn't talk to me. I don't hear God. Yes, you do. The problem is you're keyed in to the choice and not the voice. So when you turn within, you can sense. When you turn within, when you get quiet and to, to shut out the mind of the world, you're going to have to get quiet. You have to section yourself up. You can't get the mind. You can't hear the spirit watching Fox News or CNN. You can't get it watching a movie on, on Netflix. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. Now, he may, he may override and speak to you once in a while, but if you want to consistently hear the voice of the shepherd, the voice so that you're not forced to make a choice, you want the voice, then you're going to have to leave the mindset of the world, which is programmed by five senses and things that go around us, and you're going to have to program yourself off from that dimension and begin to enter a dimension from within. The kingdom of God within is a response to what arises within. That's how we enter the kingdom. He begins to, to motivate you. He begins to speak to you within and you respond to that inner prompting of the spirit. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked, I talked to you about Christ consciousness and how you can know Christ consciousness. And it's because you respond without, uh, without debate to what the spirit of God is saying. Jesus lived there. 
<coughs> excuse me, Paul lived there. And the Spirit directs us continually back into that kind of lifestyle. All right, just a couple of, couple of scriptures here from Paul. Let me get a quick drink of water. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is, this is good stuff this morning. I hope you pick up on this because of everywhere we're going right now at the Digital Cathedral in this learning to be a creator. This is imperative. We get this stuff down. The mindset has got to shift. The mindset has got to change. We turn off the mind of the world. We don't function from there. All right, Paul said this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16. He said, therefore, we don't lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Outward man is, you know, he's, he's somewhat subject to the five senses and to the aging process and all of that. He said, because the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's where we're getting stronger. That's where we're getting more perceptive. That's where our senses, our spirit senses are really uh, tuning, tuning sharply. He says in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us a far greater, exceeding, and eternal way to glory. So the things that are pushing on us from the outside might bug us, might irritate us, might even uh, attempt to hurt us. But Paul said, don't worry about it. It's, just, it's temporary. It's passing away. It's working something deeper within us. It's helping to shut that mind mindset of the world off. Then he says in verse 18, the verse that we we, we use a lot. He said, while well, we don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. That shuts the mind of the world off and begins to focus you on the mind of the spirit, which is in the kingdom. We don't look at things we see. We look at what we don't see because the things that are seen are temporary. They're temporal, subject to change. Circumstances are always evolving, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So are you tracking with me so far? The tree of life, the spirit within, the kingdom of God, they have senses as well. They, the Spirit of God that is within can see, it can feel, it can hear, uh, it can think. It's just moving out of one mindset in, into another. It's Maybe I could say it like this. It's kind of like going from AM to FM. AM to FM. It's, it's an entirely different frequency. If you have satellite radio, you, you know that it's all FM stations, and there's absolutely no static in FM. AM, man, I remember when I was a kid, uh, I had a little radio, and on Saturday night, I'd try to get WLS in Chicago with uh, Wolfman Jack. He, I'm showing my age, but I bet there are others that are watching the Digital Cathedral that used to listen to WLS in Chicago and Wolfman Jack on Saturday night. But it was on AM, and I was in Battle Creek in Chicago. It was 200 miles away, but my little radio, it was AM. If I take it just perfect, I could tune Wolfman Jack in on the AM, but you know, the static would creep in. It kind of wasn't always good. But when FM came along, you can, you can, you could, the stations that you could get on FM were static free, but you had to change frequencies. And what we're doing right now is we're changing frequencies. We're changing, we're changing vibrational levels. We're coming to a place of consciousness that we, we didn't have before, because let's face it, we did operate in the mind of the world. We operated like everybody else in the world, but we tried to have Christian values with the same, by being uh, moved by the same sensory input that came from the outward. So we're, we're changing the whole thing. We're living from the inside out. We're not living from outside in. This transformation is moving us. It's changing us. Uh, Paul said in what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. 
that you might know what is the good, the acceptable, perfect will of God. So we're going through this transformational process. We've crawled into the cocoon as a caterpillar, and we're starting to break out as a butterfly, a species of being that never existed before. Planet has not seen people like you. You, you are something that the world has never seen before. So I think the first thing that, that uh, Jesus was teaching them is that, guys, you're in the world, you're not of the world. That's what he prayed also. He, he said, don't take them out of the world. Keep them from the evil. So that's what I think he really emphasized. I think the second thing that Jesus emphasized was to establish their spiritual identity as divinity. I think for, for some of them, this was a step up. They maybe didn't even quite understand it. But let me read a couple of uh, revelations that John had on this after this 40-day period was over. In John chapter 1, let's, let's read... Uh, Verse 14 and verse 16 of, of John chapter, John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. This is not the word. This never became flesh. Jesus is the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's the relevance. Here's what I want you to see that John caught. He caught that the identity of Jesus was divinity, and the word became flesh. <clears throat> now, there's a couple things about this verse that I've got to point out. First of all, the word among. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word among is, a, is about as bad a translation as you can give a word. That preposition in the Greek is actually E-N, N, and it means in or within. So John takes this, what Jesus was, and he pulls it now to what is within us. So let, let me read <coughs> how this should read. And the word of God became flesh and dwelt in us or within us. It dwelt within us. Us. Us is plural. It's not singular. It didn't just happen to one person. It happened to all of mankind. The word became flesh and dwelt in all of us. And we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then it says in verse 16, he wants to make sure you get that this includes you because it says in verse 16, and of his fullness we've all received and grace for grace. Jesus is emphasizing to these guys in this 40-day period that your identity is divinity. John caught it. John caught it. Paul caught it for sure because <clears throat> he got it direct, straight directly from Jesus. But John got it and he said, of his fullness, of his fullness, think about that, of his fullness we've all received. Jesus was the word that is made flesh. And can I just give you an insight? And you can challenge it, believe it, don't believe it, I don't care. It's, it's up to you. You are the word, the spirit, that also became flesh. When God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and likeness, we're developing likeness continually. Image is stamped on us. You are stamped in his image. But likeness is a development. So over in chapter 2, verse 5, 6, and 7, when God picked up that lump of clay and breathed into it the breath of life, he breathed into you divinity. He, he actually breathed your eternal spirit, you, into that, into that clay man when he stood you up. When your number came and he stood you up and breathed into you, that, that what, what went into you was himself, which was your spirit. You never were separate. You're always one with him. You're always eternal in harmony with the Father. 
He never saw you separated from the Christ. You were always part of what was going on. Absolutely. So when we got here, we forgot who we were. I, and I think Father programmed us to forget who we are when we got here. So we're waking up to it. We're waking up from the coma and we're starting to come back to John chapter 14, verse 20, where Jesus said, in that day, you'll know that I'm in a father and you're in me and I'm in you. So he, he's, he's speaking of that union, that I amness that comes out of I am that I am. I am in I am that I am. So all I am has come out of I am that I am. So when I claim that I am something, it's in, it's in agreement and it's, it's, it's in right in parallel with the I am that I am. Everything, everything that you see that I am that I am created came from the invisible. Isn't that what Hebrews 11.3 says? That everything that is visible came from that realm of invisibility. He created it. You were created to be a creator. And we're exploring that in depth and just hang on. We're getting there. One brick at a time. We're getting there. I am. That's my identity that comes from I am that I am. The Father endorsed the divine identity of Jesus at his baptism. When he came up out of the water, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He made your identity as divinity at the resurrection. When you rose up, when you got up with Jesus, you were born from death to life. Peter said, 2 Peter 1, 3, 1 Peter 1, 3, I can't remember. He said, we were born again, begotten and in a gale, born again from above through the resurrection. It wasn't when you prayed the magic prayer. When you prayed the magic prayer, it was just an acknowledging. It finally dawned on your spirit. You didn't maybe have the verbiage, but this is who you are now. You have made, you've crossed over the line. You have a new consciousness. You have a new level of understanding. So now this is the date you put on it. You know, July 14th, 1957 or 1995, whatever your deal was. But the reality, the truth, the reality of the situation is you were born from death to life. You were born again at the resurrection. That's when he identified specifically your identity as divinity in associating you with Jesus at the resurrection. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Your number's in there too. You came out of the tomb with him and you're numbered right with him. Our identity has been previously like the older son. You know, we get hacked off at God's grace, God's goodness. And, you know, as we teach this message of grace, the older brother, the religious guy that has always been faithful, always pleased the father, always fasted, always prayed, read his Bible, was in church every Sunday, got 78 Sunday school pens for perfect attendance. He gets angry when the prodigal comes home, doesn't repent. <laughs> the father doesn't punish him. Father doesn't meet out justice, according to the older brother, but just embraces him, puts a ring on his finger, robe around him, puts shoes on his feet, slays the calf and says, let's have a party because my boy has woke up. He has awakened his eyes now and he's come back home with us. And the older brother looks at it and says, man, I'm ticked. That's not right. He needs to be punished for that. So that's how religion has looked at the grinning drunk who comes in at five o'clock and is paid the same wage as the guy that worked all day. Remember the parable? Religion doesn't like that. But to us older brothers, see, I've, I've never been, you know, a nasty old sinner. I've never been a drunk or li lived that kind of life. Never, never, I've never taken the illegal drugs of any, any sort. 
And when I first got, when I first understood grace, I go, wow, this is incredible that he would give to everybody, you know, treat me like he treat, treat this old guy that's been a drug addict the, the same as me. I mean, I've lived, I've preached, I've taught, I've gone to school for a year. Is this right? Yeah, it's right. That's the way the father rolls. That's the way the father rolls. So to all the older brothers, you know what the father says? He says, why are you guys griping? Why are you complaining? Because everything I have is yours. We have no right to look down on anybody that the father has extended grace to, which is the whole of humanity. In fact, our religiosity, our legalism, our Phariseeism is more offensive, I think, in the nostrils of the father than the prodigal who was down in the pig pen. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't direct it at the Pharisees. He was looking at the woman at the well. He's looking at Zacchaeus. That's who he came for. Now, we're all that if we just come to the realization of how good his grace really is. Here's what I'm trying to say. That which is born of the spirit, which is God, is spirit. That's us. Same spirit. Same identity. Same material. If... If we did a spirit DNA on you, if it was possible to do a spirit DNA on you, I bet Omori Povich would come on and say, after all the DNA tests have been taken, we have come to the conclusion that God is your father, right? And man, we would go crazy. We'd go bonkers. Christ, the anointed one, describes Jesus. But here's a flash from heaven for you. Christ, the anointed one, describes you. As the Father, Jesus said, has sent me into the world, I'm sending you. He sent, he sent us into the world the exact same way. He didn't send us in lesser, with a different identity, with a different nature. He sent us in with the Son. The Father sent him as a Son who was anointed, and he's sending you into this world to represent the kingdom, to take the kingdom in as an anointed one. Jesus was the firstborn among what? Many brothers. If that was Jesus' identity as divinity, then guess what? It's my identity as divinity as well. I refuse, I refuse to see myself lesser than the revelation of the Christ that is within me. Same Christ, same spirit, same nature, same person. All right, number three. Number three, here's, here's what I think the third thing is that Jesus taught them. Now, the first two, we, we, we've been aware of a little bit, right? We've been aware a little bit. We need to come out of the mindset of the world. We can't think like the world if we're going to function like the Father. Ooh, that's pretty good. That just flew out. We can't function like the Father. We can't function like divinity if we think like carnality. Okay, there you go. There you have it. And we've also got a little bit of idea about identity. I've done a lot of teaching on identity because I think everything revolves around identity. Once you see yourself correctly... Once you see yourself like the Father sees you, it's life-changing, absolutely life-changing. The problem is we've never seen ourselves like he sees us. We've seen us like we see us or like other people have seen us or we see ourselves like we've been told we are rather than who we actually are. So we've, we've come through a lot of that. So I, I'm hoping that your identity is pretty secure right now. Hope you're understanding what you really are, which is divinity, right? <clears throat> I think the third thing that he taught them, because this, they needed this to function in the world but not be of the world. They need this to do what he did also was, I think, third of all, he established the infinity or the limitlessness of their spirit. 
of their spirit, the limitlessness of their spirit. All things were possible. All things were possible. In, in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Mark got it. Mark got it. And he said in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, where are we here? Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Listen to this. Says, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. See, that's one of those verses. All things are possible to him that believes. That's one of those verses that we've looked at and said, mm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. All things are possible. We need to believe that all things are possible. Now, believe is, believe is kind of the, the hinge on which it swings, right? Believing is not an action. Believing is not a work. Believing is a force of the Spirit. Believing arises from revelation. It's, believing is not a problem. The deal is getting the revelation because it's out of the revelation that you believe. You can't make yourself believe. You can't make yourself believe. I don't care how hard you try, how often you confess it, how often you say it over and over and over and over again. You can't make yourself believe it. But when you see it, you will believe it. And once you see it, there's no way that you can unbelieve it. Right? So it comes by what we see. Jesus never worked on his believer. He never tried to prop his believer up, never tried to develop his believer. He was not walking in that realm of sight to where he had to make a choice, do I believe or not believe? He didn't live by choice. He lived by the voice. He said, I've come to do my father's will. I only do the things I see the father do, only say the things I hear the father say. He lived by the voice, not by choice. You can't live by choice if you're going to come to this place of of functioning out of a unlimited spirit. You have to live by what arises within because what arises within may not be logical, may not make sense to your to your eyes or your ears or the way you feel or what you've touched. It may, may not make sense to that. So if, you're, if you live by choice, you're never gonna function in an unlimited realm. An unlimited realm comes out of that kingdom that is within you and it comes from the voice that arises out of that kingdom that says, this is the way I want you to walk. So walk that way and don't look back. Don't ever question it. Jesus walked in the realm of spirit. His trust and confidence is what he heard daddy say. It was not, he did not have confidence in his ability to do it. Jesus had very no confidence. He said, it's not me that's doing the work. It's the father in me. He's the one that's doing the work. He's the one that's functioning. So points one and two, first two points this morning, getting rid of the mind of the world, functioning out of a mind of spirit, and understanding your identity as divinity, we've heard about. But this thing of infinity of spirit, being unlimited, this is, this is a new dimension. But they had to be convinced of this because they, they all walked in that dimension after, after the ascension of Jesus. They walked in that. Now, I'm just, I'm just telling you the way I received it, all right? I'm, I'm telling you the way I received infinity, unlimited, no boundaries, no parameters, there's no end. It's endless. There's no limit. When you talk about infinity of spirit, you're talking. You're not talking about a, a, something you put in a box and say you're limited to this. You're not limited. Jesus said, "With God, all things are possible." Then he turns around and says, "If you can believe, if you can respond to the revelation that comes from the voice within, arising out of the kingdom that is not with observation but within, he said, all things will be possible to you as well. 
It's hard for us to grasp because in this world of five senses that we're so programmed to catch on to, we're not even sure that all things are possible with God. I mean, are we really? God said, I'm not willing that any should perish. Go to an evangelical church and say, God's not willing that any should perish. And there's not one time in scripture where God said, this is my will, that his will did not come to pass. All things are possible with God. With men, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. But you're not walking as a mortal man. You're not walking as a mere man. Get that out of your head. That's thinking of the world. You're just a human. You're not just a human. You are a spirit that is having a human experience. You are not a human that is seeking a spirit experience. This is what we we have to renew our minds to this. We have to, we have to reprogram ourselves. The, the real you this morning is the you that is looking out your eyes at me on, on that screen, whether you're watching on a large screen television or your, your phone or your computer, wherever you're watching. The real you is looking out your eyes. And the real me is looking at that camera this morning and looking right into your eyes. This is, this is not me. That's not you. We have to change our perception on this. In Jesus' estimation, in Jesus' understanding, in Jesus trying to, to look at you, your potential, he said this. This is mind-blowing. I understand it's mind-blowing. In the church, we have never taken this on because it just seems unreasonable. John 14, verse 12. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also. And you know the rest of the verse because you've heard it, but nobody's ever talked about it because it's kingdom living. It's kingdom functioning. And at some point we have to come face to face with this and we have, and we're learning to, to do the work of Jesus in greater works. We're learning to create. Jesus was a creator. He created enough fish and loaves to feed 20,000 people out of five loaves and two fish. Jesus was a creator. He took mud and slapped it on a guy's eyes and did a creative miracle. Jesus goes on to say in that verse, and greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father. I go to the Father. Now, how, how, how could Jesus say that? Because he knew his divinity. If you back up to verse 10, he said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Do you believe today that you're in the Father and the Father is in you? Really, seriously. Seriously, because this, this is the spring to your, your unlimited spirit. If I say, here's the acid test, in a couple of weeks I get into this. Here's the acid test. If I say, Father, Christ, Jesus, Lord, do you automatically think outside yourself or do you think inside yourself? Most of us still, when we say God, we still go outside because we're asking an outside to do something for us when all he said is, I'm already in you. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? You are the habitation. You're the dwelling place of the creator of the entire universe. He lives with you. You, you house him. Think about that. You house him. Think about, think about that deep. You house within you the creator of the cosmos. Do you not think that you are destined to be a creator as well and to do greater works than what Jesus did? Jesus was limited three and a half years. You're not limited to no three and a half years. You're limited to forever. Jesus wasn't living in the, the five senses. He was living out of the sixth sense, the sense of spirit. So let me, let me just show you how unlimited your spirit really is. 
While we're there in John, back up to John chapter 11. Familiar story, but I don't think we've ever really plummeted the depth of it. John chapter 11, verse 25. John chapter 11 and verse 25. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do, 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 have you got a hold of that? See, the, the Martha that was peering out her eyes from inside was looking through the eyes that I will die. So she says in verse 27, this is so good. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God who has come into the world. Because Jesus said, do you believe this? In verse 20, he said, do you really actually believe that he who believes in me will never die? She, she didn't answer the question. She made a, a religious statement. If I were to ask you, you, do you believe you'll actually never die? You just shift consciousness. You just shift gears. You're coming to a higher plane, higher dimension. She says, yeah, I, I believe on the level of what I see and what I've heard and what I've been told. Verse 27 is a great evangelical get you saved confession. Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God that has come into the world. So we try to get, okay, you confess that, then everything's good. Jesus was moving her through the three steps I'm taking you through this morning. He was saying, Martha, you got to get rid, you got to get married. Martha, you got to get rid of this mindset of the world. You got to understand who you are, that you have the father. You are, you are divinity and everything is possible to you. you. You have to realize that your spirit is unlimited. He's taken her right through those three steps, but she couldn't get out of number one. She couldn't get out of the mindset of the world. She said, yeah, I, I, believe, I believe who you are. Jesus said, man, you're, you're missing it. You're, you're sinning. You're missing the mark, right? You know, sin is actually an archery term. When you shoot an arrow at a target and it misses the bullseye, it's a sin. So he said, you're, you're missing the bullseye here. You're missing the whole point. So let me just wrap this down for you this morning. Let me just say this. The Spirit of God is taking the sons and the daughters into a place where we from the kingdom of God inside will respond as sons, knowing that we're not of this world. We're from another level. We're from another consciousness. We're going to begin to understand that our identity is divinity, that we are in a God class of being because we are in image and likeness of the creator. And he's bringing us into a place, and we're studying it so thoroughly, of knowing that our spirit is unlimited, that we walk in an unlimited dimension, but we have to pull ourselves out of the limited to move into the unlimited. So just stay with me because we're going to get there. Hang on to your seats. Fasten your seatbelts because the Grace Express, man, is fueled. The tank is full. The tank is full and we're picking up speed and momentum. So what's, what's the message this morning? The message this morning is, as sons, you have moved out of the mind of the world. You know your identity is divinity and you're tapped into a spirit within you, your real self, the breath of God that created you into a realm of being unlimited. Just meditate, just think about it, just ponder it, and let him begin to reveal to you the depths of what you really possess. All right, I think that's good enough. Next week, we'll move into another I Am teaching, so you don't want to miss that. Wednesday night, we'll talk about this a little bit more in some depth. And uh, I, just, I just pray that you 
don't just blow this off or just don't wait till the next next teaching. I want you during the week to consider what we talk about on Sunday morning. I do. The way that I get these messages is, is by pondering, is by meditating, is by thinking. And then I come over and share with you what's been shared with me. So God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday morning. Let me just say again, thank you for your prayers, your offerings, your support. It means the world to me. And I, it just lets me know, man, you're with me. You, you got your hand to the plow and we're tracking the same direction. So it's much appreciated. See you next time on the Digital Cathedral. Have a good day and a good week. And know that Jesus is the very center of everything that you do. All right? God bless.